What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Today, I am your host, Matt Guest, out in Las Vegas, Nevada, where, shit, maybe we'll go live yeah. next week together in your makeshift studio, um, <laughs> is Matt Morris. What's up, buddy? It's great what to up? see you. Yeah, man. I'm uh, back to the grind tomorrow. Uh, house is coming along, you know, hopefully in three to five weeks once everything is delivered and we are set up i can you know move past this moving phase of life but uh things are good yeah love that we've got a we've got a fun podcast today we're gonna you're gonna give us a little triple a minor league update player that's gonna come into the big leagues that you're really excited with got kind of in my opinion a hot take you got a really really big take on this kid that's coming up for cincinnati um, we're going to talk a little bit about Devonte Adams out there in Las Vegas and his comments and kind of the state of Vegas and the Raiders and mistakes they are currently making and if they can make up for them. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the NBA finals to close out the podcast today. Um, Boston Blue Game 7 against Miami. We finally have the Miami Heat playing the Denver Nuggets a couple days later than we thought we were going to get it. Uh, especially based on our, I think last week they had just lost their first game when we recorded and uh, it got all the way to a game seven. So talk a little bit about the finals, um, but most importantly, what's next for teams like the Boston Celtics and some of the other contenders, not only in the East, but in the NBA and what they should do with some of their star powers and money. With that being said, Let's talk a little bit about baseball. You were talking to me when we were talking on the phone, prepping for the show. You really wanted to chat about this guy that's coming up for the Cincinnati Reds. So I hadn't heard of him. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more from you about him. Um, But tell the listeners who's our big minor league prospect that we should be seeing break into the major leagues here in the next, you said couple weeks. I think you have an exact date. So let it rip. Yeah. So, and I've mentioned his name a few times while we've been talking about baseball this year, um, very quickly, you know, I've mentioned his name as well as Jackson holiday's name. I'll speak on Jackson in a minute here, but it's a very exciting time in baseball, especially for the Cincinnati Reds. They have uh, a slew of players that have either come up or about to come up. I think really changed the face of this organization that has been losing for quite a few years now. And the player that I'm kind of alluding to is Ellie De La Cruz. There is opportunity for him to be called up Friday. Uh, they have a home series against Milwaukee. It will be their, uh, I think, first weekend home series in a couple of weeks, if I'm correct. <clears throat> their next home series, weekend home series, is against the Rockies on June 16th. That's kind of when I'm expecting them to bring him up. Um, but I think Friday could happen because today he had a walk-off home run, 427, uh, deep right center field, much like he's been doing the last month. His May has been absolutely out of this world. Ellie De La Cruz. I said it to you. It is a hot take. I now that you know, I, I have some wherewithal with me. I'm going to hold it back. But I said to you <laughs> that I think he could be the best player in baseball day one. Um, I'm not going to disrespect Shohei, and I'm not going to disrespect Judge with holding that comment up. But I think what he brings to the table is something that we have never seen, much like Shohei Otani and doing dual uh, pitching and hitting. La De La Cruz is everything that O'Neill Cruz was last year, times two, three, maybe four. He's a switch hitter, 6'5", can play shortstop as well as third base, can throw the ball 95 miles an hour across the diamond. So he's got the arm strength that we saw from O'Neill last year, but he has absolute prodigious power. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I wanted to find them before we jumped on today, and Baseball Savant just isn't helpful with minor league uh, deep numbers. But L.A. De La Cruz has uh, the, like, the most hard-hit balls of 
any minor leaguer and it's not even close. I think he has four or five over 118. Um, 121 is the highest of all time in Major League Baseball. If I'm correct, that was Giancarlo Stanton. When Judge absolutely obliterates the ball, which he did this past weekend, it was 117 off the foul pole. So Ellie De La Cruz has the Aaron Judge Giancarlo Stanton power, and it's it's there in front of you. Um, but the bigger thing with Ellie is he has Trey Turner speed. He has a 70, 80 grade speed. He can do both. And we are going to see him hit for average. He does. His singular weakness is about a 28% strikeout rate in the minor leagues, which he's brought down over the last couple of years. Tatis has that same 28 rate, but at the pro level. So we're going to see some swing and miss from Ellie De La Cruz. But I think we are about to see the most exciting player over the next 10 years in baseball get called up. I think Ellie is probably the face of baseball once Otani slows down. Uh, I think we were going to award that to Tatis before the steroids. And I just right. genuinely think... I think he I think he missed his opportunity because of the steroids. I don't think he will be the marketable player for Major League Baseball. I think yeah. Ellie De La Cruz will be. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for Tatis, it was the compounding injuries, yep. the off the field issues with getting in the motorcycle accidents time and time again, and then obviously the steroids. Um kind of put the cherry on top. He's gonna be the villain for the league. I don't know, probably for the rest of his career, at least for the next couple of years, which is kind of fun. You need a villain, right? At the end of the day, unfortunately, we thought he was going to be the face. He's not going to be moving to De La Cruz, though. And the Reds, which not very surprising. They have a good minor league system because they've been bad for shit six, seven years now, at least. Um, What do you think their window, specifically the Reds, is here um, to make let's just say win a playoff series, maybe potentially make a run in the central in the national league. Like, are they going to be competing with the Braves, the top the Dodgers, right? Um, San Diego, the next, we'll say three, four seasons. Like, do you think they'll be there or are these guys just really, really good prospects and the reds are still that far away? Well, they're three games out of first in the central. Um, the problem is that ballpark. It's it's very similar to what Coors and the Rockies are experiencing when, in summer in Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. It's an absolute bandbox. You have to slug your way to victory. And the few years of success they've had over the 20 years that I've been a really big baseball fan, it's been good offenses mixed with pitchers that do the best job they can to limit hard contact. They have Hunter Green as their best pitcher. He's locked up. We love Hunter Green, um, but he's inconsistent and he doesn't fit the ballpark well. He throws really hard. What doesn't work? Throwing really hard to guys that swing a bat <laughs> right. because the ball goes a far distance. Um, you know, Nick Lodolo is their, their number two. He's hurt. He was great last year. Was, has been terrible this year. Andrew Abbott is the next really nice left-hander that they have. Really good at striking batters out. Um, double a numbers this year were a little bit marred because they're using attacked ball down there in double a, but has done really well at triple a. He pitched seven innings tonight, eight strikeouts, two hit runs. I'm excited for him. Uh, so this team is going to live and die off Ellie De La Cruz and I'm not necessarily hyping him the way I should. He, to me is just as exciting as Ronald Acuna. And I would not be surprised if he comes up and is just Ronald Acuna right off the bat. Okay. I think he could struggle. I think there's a chance, um, but his tangible skills are the best in the league. Like he, no one does what he's doing. So if he can be what he's been in the minor leagues for the Reds, I think they could win the Central. And it's only because the Central's awful. Um, <laughs> right. It's awful. And 
Cardinals have been picking up steam, so they're probably the team that the Reds would have to compete with. But it's not really even just Ellie De La Cruz. It's Andrew Abbott, as I just mentioned. It's um, CES, which is going to be their first baseman. That's Christian Encarnacion Strawn. He's power hitting first, not a very good average, strikes out a lot. But hey, Pete Alonso does a pretty good job in New York, did a good job sure. as a young hitter. Like, there's chance. That's, that's um, a... It's a big that's modern day baseball right there. Yeah. First baseman is that's the guy. Yeah. Hit hit 40 home runs. That's your that's your job. Um right. and if you hit 250, you're really good at it then. Um <laughs> right. and then they have Matt McLean, who's 5'8, college bat, really nice, playing really, really well. If you think about like what a baseball player is, you know, he's David Eckstein, basically. With I was just gonna bring that up. Love yeah, that. dude. You need that guy. Um yeah. Jonathan India playing very well. He's their team leader. Like they have the pieces. It has to be Ellie De La Cruz. And I think it's very similar to what Milwaukee struggled with, with Christian Yelich. You know, if you have a guy that hits 330 and hits 45 home runs, every year you have a shot to be the team. You're, you have a shot to make the playoffs. And then when you're in the playoffs, you have a shot to win a series. So I would realistically say 2025 is the Reds' probable shot at making a push through the playoffs. Okay. I think they could make it this year if they're lucky and Ellie's just borderline MVP because he's going to have to be that. Um, I think we're going to see some development from him this year and we're going to see some really incredible stretches where we're like, yes, this is the face of baseball. And then we're going to see some stretches where we're like the kids 21. And I think 2024 is where they start to really grow as a team and they start to have some success and very well could make the playoffs, but will probably lose because their pitching just isn't ready. And then 2025 is, I think, when they're going to have a couple free agents probably come in and actually be a team that is really competitive. Okay, I'm going to throw you a really, really quick question out of left field. I didn't prep you for this, so I apologize. Would you consider them the best? Uh, would you consider the Cincinnati Reds to have the best chance to have a mid-2010 Kansas City Royal run where they have all of these guys that they brought up from the minor leagues, they got together, played three, four years of really good ball, oh. signed a Johnny Cueto, someone from out of town, and potentially or go to back-to-back World Series, at least go to one. Do you think the Reds have the best chance or maybe a different team? No, they do not. And that's literally leads into my next player, which is Jackson Holiday for the Orioles. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the that's Orioles. The squad. That's a squad. Um, okay. Gunnar Henderson got called up last year. He's been really bad this year. Actually, over the last two weeks, he started to turn it around. He was our he was the favorite in the AL for AL Rookie of the Year, and it was kind of not even close. Um, he is, by trade, a shortstop. They've moved him to third and kind of bounced him back and forth. So Jackson Holiday, who's 19, who's Matt Holiday's son, Right. Uh, first overall pick last year. Yep. Is absolutely demolished to the minor league so far. He this season, let me just take a look at his actual numbers. Uh, so 2023 he has four home runs, which isn't crazy, but he's batting 370. Um, he's had 124 <laughs> plate appearances and he's just like if you you think of the natural, you watch Jackson Holiday play and you're like this kid's just he could play pro ball today. He probably would be okay at it, but he's 19. Um, and he looks like a child. He's just a freak of nature. So he'll be their shortstop. They'll move Gunner to third. They have uh, a few other infield prospects that I like a lot, and I, I like them a little bit more than what the Reds are having. So automatically their depth is what's going to be um, comping them to the Royals. Their only problem yeah. is they don't have a lot of pitching prospects. They have, yeah. Um, yeah, they're going to have to do the Johnny Cueto approach. And they will. Uh, yeah. If, they, if at the deadline – Maybe not this year, but maybe it's next year. Maybe it is this year because, hell, they're in first place, second place, yep. whatever. And 
as we'll get to with the basketball segment later, is your your time is now. If you're in the finals, if you're making the run this year, it's this year. You know, yeah. stop waiting around. So um, I'm glad you had an answer for that. Yeah, it was out of left field. I'm excited about the Orioles, too. I actually watched one of their games on MLB. Uh, what do you have for me? The MLB TV? Yeah. Um, fun team. A lot of runs. Both ways. Both teams yeah. were scoring. A lot of runs. Um, but that's the kind of baseball I like to watch. Um, anything well, else before we go to football? I was just going to add the last thing about the Orioles is what's crazy is they're bringing everyone up around the same time. Jackson's going to Jackson holiday is going to kind of be the last like player up. Everyone else is in AAA um, or in the, on, on the major league squad. And when they are all together and everyone's jiving, they're still going to have one of the, like the lowest payrolls in baseball because all right. these kids are going to be on rookie deals, maybe right. entering their first year of arbitration for one or two of them. And I didn't even talk about Adelie Rutschman, you know, the catcher. Like, how did the Giants came up last year? Yeah, yeah. Like they had they had Buster Posey. Adelie Rutschman is supposed to be Buster Posey. Um, So it'll be interesting to see them compete with the Rays and with the Yankees, because at that point the Rays are going to start having to pay people, and at that point the Yankees are going to be old but paying a (laughs) lot of money. And if you see the Baltimore Orioles out here just absolutely fleecing people, it's going to make baseball second guess a lot of the decisions that have been made four or five years earlier. Sure. But just like that Kansas city Royals team, um, the Astros for years, yeah, they had to pay their dues, right? You don't get all these great prospects without plenty of terrible, terrible seasons. Like you see out of some other teams, <clears throat> the A's, um, you know, in baseball throughout time. But um, all right, let's transition to your hometown team, your second favorite team. Maybe I don't even know um, the Oakland Raiders. Ha <laughs> The Vegas Raiders. <laughs> I'll be getting a lot of pub this year. Devontae Adams has come out and I'm paraphrasing here, but complained about the quarterback situation in Vegas. And um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Jimmy G failed his physical and is now at risk of not being like his contract is voidable. Long story short, he might not be a available for the Raiders to start the season and B there's something I saw and this could have been a false report. So correct me if I'm talking out my ass here, but um, he's not, he might not even play for the Raiders because his contract, there's some stipulation with the physical that he failed, but I could be wrong on that part. Yeah. From what I read this week, um, they signed him to the deal. They put the press conference in fails the physical, right? They rework the deal and basically tell him Anything that happens to him, it's on him. Like there's okay. no like full liability is literally in the contract written off of the league's hands, off of the Raiders' hands. And then they okay. also put in there, you do not receive a dime. If that happens again, just keep going. Okay. You, you do not receive a dime. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I didn't know what that it was that like the Yeah, I was trying to give you cut. like a yeah. <laughs> you do not receive a dime if you don't pass a physical. So he doesn't get paid any of his bonus, which I think was also majority rolled into um his like his just season pay, games his salary, played, games played like okay. uh, until until he passes the physical. So at any point, I think they can just cut him loose. Um I, I think I think there's probably verbiage that I didn't read the article fully and maybe understand it enough because it's NFL lingo and it's at the end of the day, it is a contract. 
but it's it sounds like Jimmy's going to play. It sounds like he's going to be fine. It sounds like he'll be the quarterback. But we have this talking point right now in the offseason where it's like this stuff is being amplified. And it's being amplified because Devontae Adams was a dumbass. And he bet wrong. Like, I'm sorry, dude. You signed a contract. Like, and you left a really good thing to to go and play with your buddy who wasn't necessarily in stone as a franchise quarterback. Like they're right. But this is for me, much like Deandre Hopkins, this is just something NFL is using to continue to have a narrative and continue to be relevant in this offseason. Sure. It's very slow, but I also think if they can find a suitor for Devante, they might just take this season as an L and they may just offload the contract, offload him, cut Jimmy and just screw it. Yeah. But I mean, this is on McDaniels and um, and Dave, obviously Davis. He's the owner, but in, I wouldn't consider Devontae a dumbass. But this is what you get from moving from a yeah. well-oiled machine organization. Yes, they lowballed you, and that made you upset, and that's why you left. I don't know if you saw that interview where yep. he said he would have stayed. Um, but this is what you get going to a, we'll say, unstable organization like the Vegas Raiders is – they said, F you, Derek Carr, you didn't win the games that we wanted you to last year. You didn't play as good as you were expected to. We sucked. We lost a lot of games, which is all true. But you can't just get rid of a top 15, top half of the league quarterback without a backup plan set in stone. Whether you thought you had Brady or you thought you had Rodgers, well, you thought wrong. And now you're stuck with Jimmy G, who, Matt, let's be honest. He's probably, even if he plays, he's given you, what, 12 games? Yeah. He's going to miss. Over-under's got to be at five and a half, six and a half, right? Yeah. He's just a proven, has a proven track record that he can't stay healthy. And your backup is a rookie out of Purdue, who I kind of like. He's okay. But you have the second highest paid receiver in the league. You got to get the guy someone to throw him the ball to and he's going to start talking and complaining eventually. Now I do think Devonte is a professional and he's not going to throw a fit because he does know the bed that he made. But at the end of the day, man, this is just typical Raiders organization, not being organized, not actually having a real plan and thinking the grass is greener without Derek Carr. Yeah. He could have played better, but look, man, there's not a lot of great quarterback play in the league right now. And this offseason in particular didn't have a lot of talent for you to go get in free agency. Um, this may go down as an all-time miss from the Raiders. And shit, you never know. Car might look good in New Orleans this year. You know, Matt, I, I think I have a different perception because I live here. And I'm not a Raider fan. I'm not, I haven't bought into the Vegas Raiders, but I, I do live in Vegas and I am surrounded by Raiders. Um, so what I'm looking for. I'm surrounded by the city that the Raiders play in and there's not a strong like level of fandom out here yet. It's more like, Oh, we're going to the Raiders game because we are going to the Raiders game right now because we want (laughs) to see the Raiders play. But I will say the team needed a facelift and it needed to shake something up. And that wasn't a head coach, wasn't a GM. Davis isn't going anywhere. It had to be, it had to be Derek Carr. Okay. I don't agree with I don't disagree with what you said, but I'm telling you, living in this market, it was time to move on. And I think the right marketing strategy was we'll get rid of Derek. Like we'll let go of all the disappointment that has been Derek Carr because a lot of it's not on him. 
but at the end of the day, it's attached to the quarterback. We just sure. we know that from being NFL fans. And we're going to bring in a veteran. We're going to bring in a good-looking guy. I, that sounds crazy, but that's important, especially in this market. <laughs> and he's, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see what happens. If we're bad, we're gonna draft a quarterback, right? If we're good, <clears throat> all right, we got we got a good team. I genuinely believe that the entire strategy was just let's continue what we're doing. Let's do a little bit of a of a of a makeover and see what happens. And like they just they did it wrong. Like I I don't. We'll have to look back in a few years and see, like, from all the decisions that was made with the Gruden um, tandem, and see what was what happened with McDaniel's, because this was a pivotal moment where it's like we either rebuild or we keep Derek and we say screw the public opinion. But they've also done that for two years now, so it, it, they were in a really hard spot. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you know, at the end of the day, they didn't win a lot of games, and their biggest rival. KC, right? Well, maybe not their biggest, but division rival won the freaking championship again no. after not being favorited. Um, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, you do have a point to the good looking quote unquote facelift. Dude, it's Vegas. So I, I do. It, yeah. it is marketing is is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to lead into our basketball talk. Honestly, it's also is Derek Carr worth the money that they paid him? They as in New Orleans, right? Was he worth locking down for four more years at, I don't know, what did he get, 30-something? Um, he got a lot of money. And was it worth maybe maybe winning a playoff game? Right? Because we know what Derek is. Well, I think what's worse is that they had to call in Gruden. Uh, you saw that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I listen, I'm, I'm not, I don't dislike Gruden. Um you know, he's been excommunicated from the NFL for a reason. And to have an organization be like, hey, we need to bring in John Gruden to like make this transition transition easier. Massive red flag. Because how many players in that locker room now are like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> right. Maybe feel disrespected because of what happened with Gruden and the, you know, the association that now has with the team because they chose to bring this guy in that is literally excommunicated. Like he'll probably never work in the NFL again. I don't think probably is the word. It won't work in the NFL again. Right. Um, and I can't even imagine why they felt that was necessary unless Derek Carr is not taking to this transition very well. Um, only thing I can think of because yeah. it's a risk to bring anything like that in, or even close to your organization. And I'm I'm curious to see how he plays this year. I thought there was a really good chance that like he actually finally had a shot to be in a decent organization and have some good pieces around him and have a good season and be competitive. But that was a red flag for me. Yeah, I feel that That, that's a, that's a decent take in my opinion. Like I I agree with you and we're so early it's may. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, exactly though, Matt, it's early. Like what the hell can be going on down there? Like, what are we not hearing that that was like, I, I just don't get it. In a boardroom, yeah. everyone just says, this isn't a good idea. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, that's the stuff we don't have to deal with as Packer fans. There's no yep. owner who is just like, fuck the board. This is what I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. it has to come from up top. It has to. There's no other reason you even consider Gruden. You know? Yeah. There just isn't. Unless, unless, the only thing I can think of is that, like, maybe the media's portrayal of Gruden isn't the same 
perception the league itself has. I think the league itself, and, and I'm saying the coaches and the players, like I'm sure they're like, dude, this guy was an idiot. And we've had players come out and openly say like, he's not racist. They, they, they're like, he, he said some really stupid, hurtful things in those emails. But like, I know him, I've ate with him. I've been with his family. Like he made some really bad mistakes. And for that, it cost him his career. Um, if that's actually the perception around the league, I could see them doing this, but we don't know that. And all we know is what the media has portrayed to us. And that's not a good portrayal. So there's a lot of things that we don't know. I'm just telling you from the perception I have, dude, it's like, I would not have. Yeah. That. Well, in timeline too, is uh, it's funny that he's slowly creeping back in after Snyder sells the team. And he mm -hmm. was kind of the big ricochet bullet from those emails from Dan Snyder and that team specifically. Right. And it's like, Hey, we had to, we did knock a couple guys down, ruin a few reputations for Snyder to realize that, the threat of us needing him to sell his team was big enough, right? I, who knows? It's weird. It's a, it's a boys club in the NFL. Um, I don't think that's something to be ignored either, that now that we've had a finalized sale of the Washington commanders, who now can't be the commanders after they get sold, which is also a topic for another time, um, that Gruden's name starts popping back up like, hey, maybe we'll you know, extend the olive branch to him. Now that we've got Dan Snyder out of the league, I don't know. Well, I, this that is also a, is what pops into my head. This is a conversation that we were having off air, but like this immediately goes back to the the concept that I was talking to you about with like people are playing games on different levels than right. they are. We think, of, I think personally, of John Gruden as being way more of a polarizing NFL figure than Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder's an owner, right? Correct. Gruden has won Super Bowls. He has led men. He's he's Monday he's been night football. For Monday a night decade. football, but he's not a billionaire. And Dan Schneider doesn't need to have the same public appeal that Gruden used to have because he's a billionaire and literally is owning Correct. these these this team and this franchise and paying these guys to play for him. And it's just really interesting to see that the dynamics that you just talked about because it's like, yeah, the NFL at the end of the day, this was such a big problem for them that there were casualties because they needed to get this cancer out of the league because he was a powerful man in the NFL and it was time to go. Very interesting to watch that dynamic play out. And yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Gruden. I, I hope he gets an opportunity to, um, to be a voice for ignorance, you know, like sure. to really be a guy that was like, Hey, like we've got to be better as a society of just saying stupid stuff. And you can't be saying shit like that in an email to like, yes. even our idol Brett Favre, like what the fuck dude? you, know, like, but like, that's what needs old, to be said. I get said. you from the South. Yeah. I get your fucking still love Favre for the player, you know, but it's just like, stop being a moron sometimes, you know? Well, and I think when we get like, I think that's the biggest issue we face in today's society. A lot of the time, you know, everything's so polarized and everything's so politically driven nowadays where we can't just have people come back from their mistakes and be like, hey, so here's the real problem. The root isn't racism. The root is that I was ignorant, that I was in a culture where ignorance was allowed, ignorance was encouraged, and we used words that were disrespectful and hurtful because we were ignorant and we were allowed to. We all as a society need to get better. And I'm on this rehabilitation you know, path. And I'm going to continue to voice that the rest of my path. It's like, yeah, that's, that's something that you can actually get behind in, in like a form of recovery. Right. Sure. Um, but we can't have those conversations as a society because we just get canceled. It's like, 
we don't learn from our mistakes because we shove our mistakes in the closet and lock the door. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Well, and there's no forgiveness either. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. It's like if someone is remorseful and actually sorry, you should forgive them and let them learn from their mistakes. Well, are we with are we making reason? But are we are we making money off them? Like look at Michael right. Vick, right? right? Like like that yeah, situation. Vick ended up playing what seven more years at mm-hmm. least after the dog situation. But he made him money. And then that's like back to the root of, right. of problems in the world. It's like there's so much greed. It's, right. it's sad. Right. 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 Um, that actually is a halfway decent lead into the basketball conversation. <laughs> halfway decent as in I'm going to bring up something I bought, brought up, I don't know, a month ago. Uh, you know, we'll start this whole Boston Celtics losing in game seven around my – my general thoughts of NBA culture. And I actually had an epiphany, Matt, and some of Twitter actually agreed with me. I got a lot. I got a lot of engagement and likes on a tweet (laughs) that I made is that it was talking about the NBA, but this goes a little bit to the John Gruden stuff as well Is that we don't as a society nowadays with Twitter, with Instagram, with social media, with people younger than us, because we are sadly getting up there now. Um, we don't know how to contextualize losing specifically in the NBA. Whereas now culture in sports, not even the NBA is so hell bent that if you lose a playoff game or a quote unquote big game that other players weren't in, if you lose that game, it is now worse for your legacy than not even being there in the first place. Like that is officially where we've gotten in society nowadays, where I'm here to remind mostly people younger than myself is that's just not how it works. And guess what? Someone has to lose every time. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they suck or their legacy should be completely thrown out the window. And that's the whole LeBron camp argument, right? Is I've seen videos online like 50% of the years he was in the league, he made the finals and all his ridiculous stats, which I agree with. I totally understand. And I want to wrap that back around for the Boston Celtics. They have a really, really big decision to make, Matt, this upcoming offseason. Their Robin, Jalen Brown, is eligible for a $50 million a year extension. And he gets that $50 million price tag because he made, I think it was second team All-NBA, but he made an All-NBA team this year, had a fantastic year. I think he averaged around 26 a game, um, six rebounds, you know, really, really good season. Jalen Brown's a very good basketball player. Let's not get it twisted. He had a bad series. He looked shitty last night in game seven. I think he had eight turnovers. Um, I think he made like six or seven threes throughout the entire uh, Eastern Conference Finals. But Jalen Brown's a damn good basketball player. Now, the question is, is he a $50 million basketball player, right? That, yeah. That's the question, Matt. Now, let's, let's go back in time a little bit here. Throughout the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown tenure, as teammates, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2018 against LeBron James and lost in seven. Tatum's rookie year, Right. They ended up going to the conference finals in 2020 in the bubble. They lost to the Bucks in 21, Kyrie Irving. 
or sorry, 19 was Kyrie, 20 was the bubble. 21, they lost to the Bucks the year the Bucks won the title. Last year, they get to the finals and lose. This year, they get to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose. Now, you tell me, Matt, your favorite team has that run, doesn't win a title, but they're there with young, young talent under 30 years old. Is that a failure? No, because I don't believe in the construction that this team has ultimately come to be. Um, they don't have anything other than two shooting guard, two shooting forwards. I'm going to call Tatum a shooting forward. You can sure. put him in as a guard or a forward. Um, wings, wings. They, they have they have wings. Like Williams is garbage, um, right? And he's not a big Al Horford. Oh my God, I hate Al, For Al Horford. He has been losing teams, playoff series, his entire career because he's just average at everything. God, he's garbage, <laughs> dude. Uh, we had like, we had, I, I kid you not, we would have had a, a bonfire of hatred towards Horford this week at work because Heat fans hate him, Hawks fans hate him. Boston fans hate him. He's just bad. <laughs> um, and he's old. So I, right. I'm sorry, Al. I'm just, I've never been a fan even since you were in Florida. You've been garbage and average ever since. Um, and that just goes into like what this team is built on. <clears throat> and it's kind of how the, the, literally the ping pong balls fall at times. Like they took Tatum and they took Brown. I don't, I don't think it was the wrong move. It's just like they needed a big. And it's the same thing I say about Milwaukee needing a two guard to, to pair with Giannis. And it's the same reason Denver's going to beat Miami in the finals. It's because they have a big and they have a two. And I, I don't put that on Brown. I don't put having bad series on Brown because I don't know that if he were the number one wing that he wouldn't be having good series. Maybe it's that Tatum and Tatum's need for the ball takes away from his ability to be the alpha and he can't compete. Like there is something to that in basketball. But the question of is he worth $50 million and is he worth signing, I think are, is the same question itself. Who else are they going to have? Right. Who are you, who are you going to sign and trade Brown for? Perzingis, you know, Kyrie. Like nobody's giving you anything better than Jalen Brown. At least I don't think they are. I don't think it's even reasonable to assume that. So I think you kind of have to just sign him and hope to God you can find a way to bring a big into this lineup that actually can play basketball without having Jimmy Butler completely disrespect him. Or without being thirty some, I think Horford's like thirty seven at this point. Yeah, he's his time's running out for sure. They they need a Brook Lopez type of deal where they get a guy that was good on a on a cheaper deal and just happens to refine that like almost all, all pro level, that all pro role level, right? Where he is just the perfect role player. Um, but it's really it's got to be really unfortunate for Boston fans because that window is closing because sure. they constructed the wrong roster. Yeah, and I mean, I just also think the situation with Ime Udoka was catastrophic down the stretch yes. here for them, um, specifically against Miami, but also throughout the playoffs too against Atlanta um, earlier in the playoffs. But I think they have that guy in Rob Williams. Rob Williams has the problem of always being injured though, mm -hmm. um, and that's a massive problem. He's been their X factor the last two seasons when Rob Williams is on. Boston is really fun to watch and they win a lot of the games where he's on and plays, we'll say 25 to 30 minutes off the top of my head. Um, the only good trade that I've heard floated out there was from 
Bill Simmons himself, himself, the Celtics fan, um, was trading Jalen to Portland for either Dame Lillard or the third overall pick and Anthony Simons. Because once again, you hear that. You hear Dame Lillard specifically, right? And you're like, no, Dame's way better. Contract's the same. Dame's already in his 30s, right? Portland can now have their, we'll say, I think Brown's around 25, 25-year-old star, right? Um, other than that, that contract's huge, Matt. You think of any other team that he could potentially go to outside of that, we're looking at the bottom dwellers, right? We're yeah. looking at the Oklahoma City Thunders of the world, the Washington Wizards of the world, the Charlotte Hornets, the Houston Rockets. We're looking at these lottery teams, right? Where they could trade him for some valuable assets there. But what that does in Boston's eyes, in my opinion, Matt, you can disagree with me, is that what that does to them is that automatically puts them in the passenger seat to definitely Milwaukee, unless Milwaukee makes some ca- like huge move and blows up their team. Um, and it, in my opinion, puts him in the back seat to Philadelphia. Cause I think Maxie's going to fill in well for James Harden, presuming that Harden leaves. I could like Maxie could be better and Embiid better than Tatum and insert young guy. Right. Personally, I do. Well, and but Matt, that's, that's kind of the point I have with, because uh, I think you're right. Um, I think there are two teams, at least in, Milwaukee, in in the East, if not three, that we would take their two better than Boston with even Brown and Tatum. But the roster construction, this is like in every league, in every sport that we talk about, it comes always back to this. And at the end of the day, are you really going to trade for Dame Lillard? You're going to have the same problem. Same problem. Tatum needs the ball. Lillard needs the ball. Brown, when he has the ball, is great. I've seen it firsthand. He can be, he can drop 50. And you have two guys that need the ball. We saw it in Brooklyn, didn't work, right? Um, we've seen it all over the league. It doesn't work unless you're in Golden State. But I also think the bigger problem is the way the league has brought itself up now. And I, I think this is a much deeper conversation. So I don't want to get too into it. But like we've become a wing and a guard and a point guard league. The two guard is what there's five of them that i can think of that are really really good there used to be 15 of them at the two guard position that were really good and what is it what does the two guard pair well with everything else yep and when you when you have wings that need the ball and you have point guards that need the ball they don't work well together Kyrie and kd right and i think the league is just at this really weird point where we're going to start seeing as we're seeing now the Giannis's and the jokers the and the Embiid's, like the bigs are coming back those pair with a wing Let's pair with a, a two. Let's pair with a point. But the Boston Celtics just happened to get two wings, and two yep. wings don't pair with anything right. um, unless you have a big two. Unless you have that big. Yeah. yeah and for sure. God, it just sucks because, like, I hate Boston, but, like, I feel for their fans because it's like you're stuck. Like, yeah. you, you're not getting a big. Um, maybe you go, you trade for a guy that's 22, 23 you know, end of the first, second round pick. And I don't have a list in front of me and hope to God they can develop and develop really fast and give up, you know, something other than Brown. And all of a sudden, like you have the next Joker. I, that's a, that's a really ambitious comment, but like the premise is that at least you have a really good center. Um, that's the only thing I, that's what I'd be scouring the league for right now is people that may fit our system that we can develop. Yeah. Um, two things before we go rapid fire, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, or game. Um, (laughs) 
they were 57 and 25 this year. Mm-hmm. Once again, they made it to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. For for context, right? To put this into perspective here, that's a great season. One team wins. Okay. So that's the first thing. And similar to Milwaukee, right? My gut reaction after they lose to Miami is we need to fucking do something, which was fire, bud, which for Boston might be get rid of their coach as well. Cause he once again had a tough playoffs. Um, don't want to harp on the guy too much, but he couldn't coach his team to break a two, three zone. And that's also mind blowing to me that a professional basketball team couldn't handle his zone. That's, that's crazy to me. Figure that out. That's honestly, that's embarrassing. Cause I promise you Miami will not be running a two, three zone successfully against Jokic in that Denver team. I can promise you that clip it. It's not going to happen. Okay. Um, but the other thing, like if they don't blow it up, Matt, they're still a top three team in the East. Easy. Yeah. Right. Probably can't re-sign um, Grant Williams. Maybe Horford. I don't know his contract, but like they're fine. They're a hundred million in on their wings, but they're still a top three team in the East. Just like Milwaukee. Milwaukee doesn't blow it up. I mean, Matt, remind me, when did their head coach get fired? It was like a month and a half before the season. It was very late in the offseason, which uh, puts them behind the eight ball. They they hire or promote Missoula, the guy who is the coach right now, um, internally. That's a tough draw, dude. That's tough. And the players obviously loved the coach. That's why they had such a great run last year. Well, and I think one more thing, too. One more thing before I let you go is the second thing is what Miami is doing is unprecedented. Like it's just what we, uh, we talked about it last week, what we are witnessing here with this heat team and Butler and Caleb Martin in this magic is, is not replicable. Like this is not going to happen again. And we'll get to our picks and, what I think about the finals, but we need to also remember and celebrate what we're watching here with Miami, because this is not normal. What, yeah, n- what is no, happening is not normal. Go um, ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm going to touch on Miami first, because I agree with you. Like that we talked about Cinderella's and this is, <laughs> this is the perfect example. Um, they've, they've won the 2023 NBA season to me. It doesn't sure. like, Nuggets are going to be champions in 20 years. I'm probably going to remember the heats run. I'm probably not going to remember who won the 2023 championship. I'm just not, but I'm going to remember Jimmy Butler's, you know, Miami's bench averaging 33.5 points a game. Incredible numbers that we're seeing And Spolstra just, I think crowning himself is the next pop. Like it's, it's here. Yeah. Like he is, he's going to be one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he's doing it with, out LeBron James. Um, and I would love to actually get a real answer out of him. Like how important was LeBron to who you became, you know, like real questions because that's more legacy impacting for the LeBron haters. Um, <laughs> really is though. Um, and I think this, what we were talking about with Boston's loss, um, kind of the relevance of like, once you've lost a game, like you're just, you're out. I was thinking about Missoula. It's Missoula. Missoula. Right? Yeah. Missoula. I think I said it to you, like fire him, like three Oh lead, uh, by, by the heat, get him out. Like he's done. His job's gone. He brought this team to a game seven. Sure. He 
did everything in his power as a head coach to right any wrongs that he had for through three games. And he got these guys to have an opportunity. And 45 seconds into the game, his best player rolls his ankle. Yep. Shit. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, it, it's, it's exactly, it's great point. It's so hard for us to think about as a society. Like, this is a really good season by Boston. Really good. Say, say it had gone very differently and it turns into seven game series against the Heat. You know, maybe they win. It, it, things break up differently and Tatum rolls his ankle. You're told that at the start of the season. You're like, yeah, they're probably going to lose that game. Right. Like, what are you going to do? Your best player, your number one scoring option, the guy you need in your game leader, seven to momentum. go out and score forty points is half of himself. He's a shell. Um, so I, I think with all that being said, like this, this team still has they're 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 a big away, um, and can you go find that? And for Missoula, like awesome. I watched all of his interviews during each after each game, and like really like what he stands for. Um, doesn't really fall in line with kinda like weird. the strong leader. Yeah, yeah kind of weird, but like the, some somehow he got this team to a game seven. And um, I really hope the Heat win the finals. I, I I think this would be the most legendary Cinderella story we would have will ever have. Um, and I want it for Jimmy. I just don't think there's a chance in hell. <laughs> I just don't. We'll get. I'll get to my finals take here in a second. Um, I, you do make a great point about the injury, right? Yeah. Like, no one's talking about that. Everyone in Twitter is so hilarious. Like, I just now laugh every time I go on there. Everyone's like, oh, he's garbage. He's mid is what the kids say. <laughs> you know, like, he doesn't show up in the in a game seven, 14 points. It's like... Go roll an ankle and you tell yeah. me how effective With you are. With high tops on, yeah. too. Like, or mids. They weren't high tops. They were mids. <laughs> um, Giannis gets hurt in the first quarter of the first game. Takes sucks the air out of the team. Tatum rolls his ankle on the first play. That changes things, man. People yeah. are human. Um, it's a great take, and I totally agree with you. And that's stuff that we won't really remember. And people already forgot Milwaukee lost in the first round. They're getting. I've seen graphics. Oh, who's the most disappointing team this playoffs? Memphis, Philly, Boston. I'm like, did we not forget Milwaukee was the best team in the league? Yeah. Had NBA and players they, around and, and the been, league saying Milwaukee will win, and they've been out for a month and a half now. Oh. I've gained three pounds since that's over. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I do want to talk about the finals, but let's play a quick game. Um, let's go through the list here. I'll I'll, I'll lead. Um, we'll just start it off the top. This is who would you rather have? Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown edition. As a duo, I'll, I'll restart that. Which duo would you rather had Jason Tatum or fuck me, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown or Drew slash Chris and Giannis? Boston's Who would two. you rather have? Same. Tatum, Brown. Yep. Tatum and Brown or Harden and Embiid. Oh, Tatum and Brown. Same. Tatum and Brown or Jokic and Murray? Jokic and Murray. Same. Yeah. Tatum and Brown or John Morant and Triple J? No, again, Tatum and Brown. Correct. I'm going to skip down a little bit over Cleveland, Sacramento, New York, down to Tatum and Brown or Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Ooh. Tough one. <laughs> 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take Booker and Durant. I'm gonna take Booker and Durant yeah. as well for one to two more seasons. I would now. say three is my window. Yeah, sure. But yeah. we're asking about today, and yeah. I'd agree with you. Tatum and Brown, or Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Yeah, Brown and Tatum. Correct. Me too. Tatum and Brown over Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And we're, we're this is in reality. This, this is, is in reality. Yeah, this is Brown and Tatum because those two idiots are going to be in the nearest hospital. Exactly. Sadly. Sadly. I want. Yeah. I want to take my Clippers. You know, I like them a lot more than I used to. Tatum and Brown, and Steph or Clay. Tatum and Brown. Tatum and Brown for me as well. Tatum and Brown, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Tatum and Brown. You see where we're going with this, right? And now there's a couple teams lower here. Um, I mean, actually, there's one other team, basically, that's even worth the question, I guess. And it's still Tatum and Brown. And it's Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. So we are both definitive on, and this is recency bias, bias, actually, is Jokic and Murray. Preseason, I'm probably taking Tatum and Brown. And then we're also taking... Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, who comboed for one of the most historic playoff runs that lost to Jokic and Murray. So we're putting them worst case scenario, third best duo in the NBA and the best duo most specifically in the Eastern Conference. If you asked me this question of duos back before Murray tore the ACL, because that's back when I actually watched basketball and had a real life. Um, I think I, I kid you not, Matt, I think I probably would have picked those two number one on my list because yeah. what I saw from Murray before the ACL tear was the emergence of a superstar. For At sure. least like the absolute perfect Robin to Batman, you know, like, and he tore the ACL and it was heartbreaking because I was like, oh my God, Denver, they were so close to having something special. Here we are. Yeah. And Jokic came out and said Murray was our best player in that series, you know, like, um, so it, it, but it's funny because it's the two guard and it's the center, right? It's the tale of right. time in our NBA, our life was having, having that perfect pairing. Right. But yeah, Brown and Tatum, dude, like, I mean, it's uh, crazy. What are you going to do in, in like Boston? The right thing to do is resign him. $50 million is a big price tag, but you don't break up a top three duo. Yeah. In the NBA. You put better pieces around them. Correct. Yeah. You now say this is the catalyst, the nucleus, whatever scientific term you want to use, and you do everything in your power to make those guys better. Um, Because I think Tatum can still graduate to a better player. Brown is getting close to his plateau, but his plateau is a top, we'll say 20 player in the league, which is pretty damn good, right? Also, though, you we forget this. Boston and Danny Ainge wheeled and dealed and pulled out all the stops to have these two be the guys. Correct. You know, like, every, however it fell with the draft picks, this is, this is the foundation. Kyrie didn't work, you know, but it wasn't about Kyrie. It was about having the picks to have this core foundation. This is your foundation. You don't throw all of that 
what I would consider a success away that Ainge built because it hasn't worked. These kids are young. They've got six years left minimum before you even start talking about are they washed. Probably yeah. seven or eight. That's an eight-year window of potential championship runs. And they were in yeah. the finals last year. They were so close this year. An ankle away. So, yeah, and, and at the end of the day, man, I'll just say what I said when we started this conversation. Who else are you going to pair with Tatum? If it's Dame, you got a two-year window. You know, you're not getting Luka. You're not getting Jokic. You're not getting Murray. It's, you stick it with Brown. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, it's the only move, in my opinion. Shake up the roster. Shake up the coach if you have to. You keep those two together for one more contract for each of them, five years of pop. And if they can't get it done in four or five years, like, sure. But, I mean, what what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, let's go to the finals. We'll do a quick here. Because uh, next episode, it'll still be going on. First game is Thursday. And I think the next game after that is Sunday. I think it's two days off in between games for the finals. Um, which obviously very much so benefits the Heat. Uh, go ahead with your Nuggets take. I know you already kind of mentioned it earlier. So you think the Nuggets are winning? How many games? Why? Give me why you think the Nuggets are winning. I'll take Nuggets in six. I just think the momentum the Heat are on wins them two games. Um I think I think what they've done so far is just personal willpower and belief um, and Spolstra holding this team together in, in the right formation at times. But I've never seen an, a streak like this ever. So I have to give them at least two games. I think the Nuggets are light years away as a better team. And when you talk about the consistency that we saw all season, it's not even comparable. Right. We're seeing the Heat play at a level that is beyond their roster, and they've been doing so for three series. I just have to think at some point that comes to a stop, and we saw it for three games um, against a team that isn't as good as the Nuggets. Nuggets have everything that you're looking for when you talk about how do you want to construct a roster. You have it, the MVP, in my opinion, two-time MVP, should have been again. You have a shooting guard that's pushing his way into possibly the top five at his position. You have the role players surrounding them that execute their role perfectly. And you have a wild card importer. And if he stays healthy and he's effective, it should be a pretty quick series. Sure. Um, I don't disagree with you, to be honest with you. Those are all really great points. Um, I think there's a couple things. One, the matchup people aren't talking about quite yet is the coaching matchup. And I think we need to be honest about the run the Heat have gone on. They've had a significant coaching advantage throughout, right? Um, I, I mean, obviously, we're Bucks fans here. We kind of went over it whenever that was when they got eliminated. Um, Spolcher destroyed, bud. Now, him and Tibbs went back and forth. But in my opinion, Miami and New York, their rosters were pretty comparable. And then here in the conference finals, Spolstra out coach Missoula with a far inferior roster. Now the gap is probably bigger <laughs> between Boston and Denver in comparison to how they stack up against Miami for a couple of reasons here is that obviously they have Jokic, right? That's the big thing. Now 
what I will say, and I'll probably stand by this for the whole finals to be proven right, is that Bam will match up with him well. Very well, actually. Bam can play very, very good defense. His strength is in his defense and his ability to move laterally, and he's very athletic. His limitations come when he tries to dribble in around the rim, which is whatever. Um, my big issue is going to be two things is like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I do not foresee Miami being able to play a two, three zone against these guys. And what that will do will make the glaring um, deficiencies in Duncan Robinson and other players like Kevin loves defense show up really, really big and against guys like the X factor, Aaron Gordon, he's the one for me. What is Miami going to do with Aaron Gordon? When Jokic and Gordon are in the game together, I literally don't know who's going to be able to guard and rebound against Aaron Gordon. If Aaron Gordon plays very well, like he did against the LA Lakers in game four, and he's active on the boards at the rim playing defense, they will beat the crap out of Miami. In my opinion, Um, that is the big, big weakness. I still in a couple days thinking about this here or in a day thinking about this, I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do with Gordon. Now on the flip side, I think Miami's guards are going to match up really well defensively with um, Jamal Murray. They play hard. They're fast. They defend. And I just think these guards from Miami are going to keep making threes. They're shooting 40% on the playoffs. It's been three series. And if they can keep shooting threes, they can stay in the game. Now that was a lot, but my take, my prediction for the finals is I do think Miami's going to win. But I do think they're going to win in seven games. And the only logic I have behind it is the logic I woke up with on the morning of game seven of the Eastern Conference finals is Miami is very, very good at winning and showing up to the game that everyone thinks they're going to lose. The second people started to think they were going to win, they get blown out. And I know this is, once again, this this is not based in fact here. But when Miami's up against the wall, no one believes in us. We're the underdogs. We're going to get blown out today. Is when they come, keep the game close, and close it out at the end. And I really think they're going to push Denver to seven games. And if it gets to a game seven, that favors Miami. Because no one in the world thinks they're going to win this series. They're freaking Denver's minus... 340 to win the series today. That's disrespectful. We're going to find out. And um, I I think there's, I I said it a little bit earlier. I've never seen a a team just complete willpower. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's willpower. And uh, I have a friend at work that's a big uh, Heat fan. He was telling me like they won the most close contested games all season. Sure. Um, That's, that's important. We talk about that in March Madness. Talk about that in every sport. When you're battle tested, you're you're better in the playoffs. And this isn't Matt, football. This isn't one game. Matt, I I don't disagree with your buddy. And that Caleb Martin averaged eight points a game in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Tyler Hero, their second best offensive player, has been out since game one against Milwaukee. Say what you want about him, statistically, right? Yeah. To oh, they won the most close games. Duncan Robinson was almost out of the league last year. Kyle Lowry was being told to retire after last season. What is what we are witnessing is an absolute statistical anomaly. 
and all you can chalk it up to is the game and sports. Like that's all like there is nothing about the heat that isn't just the beauty of sport and why we record podcasts and why we watch games and gamble and do fantasy is because of moments like this straight up. Like there is, you can't point at one thing on a computer to me statistically that'll convince me that's why Miami is doing what they're doing. What they're doing is going out there as a group of men, a group of boys and playing together and saying, if we just keep this game close, if we just do our job, we have a shot to beat anybody. And that's, that is all that it is at its core, in my opinion. Well, and to finish, I, th- I think what's best for the league is that Miami wins this. I think it brings the sport into a completely different context with everything we've seen over the last 15 years, the LeBron effect of building super teams and worrying about roster construction and firing coaches at the drop of a hat and realizing, no, if, if we put together a team, if we get to the playoffs – we can win. That used to be a thing. I know the eight seed has never really done that, but correct. There is a chance that this, again, much like Giannis winning a championship, shakes the core of the NBA where things are looked at differently, where the league can say, hey, any team can be competitive. You've got a you've got a flag to wave for the next 20 years that any eight seed for marketing can win the NBA finals. A team that was in a play-in game that almost lost can win the NBA Finals. Lost one of them. So, I, I, I man, I, I'm so excited to see what happens with this momentum. And I'm, I'm going to be disappointed if the Nuggets come out and just smoke them. You know, if it's, if it's just like, oh damn, like just like it was for Boston in their comeback, where it was like, oh, tip shot didn't even matter. Like no one's going to remember that in 20 years because Miami beat you. Right. Right. Just like some of the great Cinderella stories, Colorado Rockies going to the World Series a long time ago. Yeah, against the Red right? Sox. Got smoked. Yeah. But they you got have, there. You have a couple of those where it's like, exactly, <clears throat> they got there. Um, Denver's a great team. I, I'm not trying to downplay how great Denver is. Like I said, I think the Aaron Gordon matchup and how they're going to be able to defend Jokic without that 2-3 zone. Um, something I'm going to keep my eye out for, and we'll have a follow-up on next week when we record after watching a couple games and I'm really excited about it. So um, hell of a season to the Celtics. I, I dude, I don't like the Celtics either. Like I, I feel like I've been <laughs> going to bat for them this episode, but I've watched so much damn Celtics games because they're always winning and my team's always losing. Um, and just the tangent again, Matt, like we need to, I, I, on this podcast, we need to just contextualize sports and put actual perspective on what we're witnessing here. You know, like I'm, I'm honestly sick of seeing the bullshit about people actually saying you're a failure for making the conference finals. Like, and and I probably felt that way 10 years ago, a younger self, but that's actually ridiculous. (laughs) Like we just went through the duos with Tatum and Brown. Well, more importantly, though, Matt, it's it's time to start taking the emphasis off the player and, and looking at the entire picture. And I, I say that with the context of, of Coach Bud. Um, it's his, it was his fault. Like, the team didn't perform well. Giannis got hurt, too. But at the end of the day, like, the NBA isn't like other sports where it's like, damn, the coach failed the team. It's Tatum failed his team. It's, 
you know, Chris Milton failed his team. Giannis failed his team. LeBron, they got swept. He failed the team. LeBron's a little different story because he's probably more the head coach. But I guess my point is like, let's look at the entire picture and let's look at what Boston did after being down 3-0 and having a, a rookie head coach who was not ready for the job. Or let's look at the Bucks and their best record, their, you know, expected championship and ask, was that hiring of the head coach really the right call a few years back? Um, was holding on to him the right call? All of these things matter more so than putting it on the player and taking to social media and, and just crucifying these individuals because it's not just one person. Coach Bud, sure. Giannis is back. Chris is rust. You know, lack Kevin of three-point consistency. Toe. Kevin Durant's toe, right? Jason Tatum's ankle. A lot of things go into these equations and and people are just so quick to fire off. And I am too at times, but I agree with you. Yeah, I've been trying my best. So here we are. We're mature now. We have a three in front of our age. Um, all right, let's wrap it up. We've hit 60, 64, actually. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, we'll see you next week. You can find us on socials at Pitcher Bet Pod. I'm Matt. That's Matt. Have a great one.